Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Solo Wide Receiver Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Let's talk all things wide receivers, like we've been doing with the rest of the positional previews. Goal here, going to take about 30 minutes, maybe even 35. Who the hell knows? Go through the shadow matchups, go through some of the big usage changes from last week, streamer of the week, matchups of the week, all that and a lot more using all the handy-dandy PFF tools and all the games that I've just gone through back and watched and just general, you know, trying to be good at my job uh, stuff along the way. So with all that said, guys, let's get into it and start off again with the shadow matchups of the week. So always got those disclaimer in there. Please, for the love of God, don't be fading your alphas, your studs, just because of a perceived tough matchup. Shadow matchups, while they're fun to talk about, and they can influence rankings and start set decisions more so of a tiebreaker because more times than not, we just don't see one cornerback track one wide receiver all the way across the field. Last year, you know, Justin Jefferson got shut down by Jalen Ramsey because he only had three catches for 25 yards in Ramsey's coverage. The full game, he had eight catches for 116 yards. So great job, Ramsey. But yeah, start freaking Justin Jefferson. Even if there's a fire, hopefully I don't need to tell anyone that. And you just say, yeah, Ian, we freaking know. Good. So. With that said, last week, 11 different defenses, guys, actually did have at least one cornerback shadow an opposing wide receiver all over the field. The Falcons did with A.J. Terrell attempting to shut down Michael Thomas. Obviously, didn't go too well for him, giving up a pair of touchdowns. Panthers cornerback Dante Jackson, truly one of the fastest guys in the league. He locked up Donovan Peoples-Jones instead of Amari Cooper, so maybe he's going to be taking the field stretches throughout the year. As expected, Bengals cornerback Shadobi Awuzie and Eli Apple shadowed Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. Broncos cornerback Patrick Sertan, though, actually did go ahead and shadow DK Metcalf. Wasn't used to shadow at all last season. Lions cornerback Amani Aruwarare. My bad, man. And Jeffrey Okuda. Uh, they shadowed A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Credit to Jeffrey Okuda for goose egg and Devontae Smith. But on the other side of things, you know, I think Jalen Hurts was just more than happy to feed A.J. Brown the ball, considering they could not stop him. Colts cornerback Stephon Gilmore did shadow Brandon Cooks, as we expected. Did a good job on him. Cooks got that 42-yard flea flicker, but that was not in Gilmore's coverage. Chargers cornerback Asante Samuel Jr. did track Devontae Adams all over the field. Samuel registered just one shadow matchup in all of 2021. So so these second-year corners, Asante Samuel Jr. and Patrick Sertan II, looks like they're going to be shadowing more often in 2022. Get your popcorn ready. Dolphins cornerback Zayvon Howard handled Devontae Parker. Patriots cornerback Jonathan Jones handled Tyreek Hill. Also had Giants corner Dory Jackson on Robert Woods. And finally, Seattle Seahawks cornerback Michael Jackson tracked K.J. Hamler. So using all that, Still using, you know, everything in the past. Again, I've been, you know, projecting these for about five years. The following cornerback matchups, I'm expecting to actually shadow wide receivers throughout week two, starting off with Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Deontay Johnson versus New England Patriots cornerback Jonathan Jones. No more J.C. Jackson, so Jonathan Jones is the guy for New England. I am not downgrading Deontay Johnson for this matchup. We actually saw him command a target share of 30% once again in week one. Had an absolutely absurd one-handed catch out there, Deontay. Just, you know, continue. 
continuing to do king shit. Hopefully he's even more healthy this time around. And I would note that Jonathan Jones talked about this in the Sheesh Report, but the first freaking snap against Tyreek Hill, if Mac Jones, excuse me, if Tua hadn't actually had the snap go high and really then it got tipped at the line of scrimmage, I mean, Tyreek ran straight past Jonathan Jones. That could have been a house call in his very first play with the Dolphins. I think Carolina Panthers wide receiver DJ Moore is going to get matched up against a Dory Jackson with the Giants. Maybe they view Robbie Anderson as the one. I know he did have the big week one, but come on, it's DJ Moore. Pretty sure he'll be getting that Jackson shadow. So I think it's a neutral matchup from a pure coverage perspective here. Baltimore Ravens wide receiver Rashad Bateman going up against Miami Dolphins cornerback Xavier Howard. I'm downgrading Bateman for two reasons. First of all, it's just the blitz that is giving Lamar all kinds of trouble, or it's giving Greg Roman trouble with adapting to the blitz. I'm not trying to slander Lamar. You guys know me. I'm a, I'm a, been a Lamar stand ever since Louisville days, but he's objectively been bad against the blitz over the past two years. Last week, Rashad Bateman, only five targets. He was not lucky to get the long touchdown. He scored the long touchdown. With that said, only five targets to work with. The routes weren't exactly where he wanted them to be just yet. Rashad Bateman, for me, still more of a mid-tier wide receiver three this week as opposed to someone that needs to be in starting lineups because guess what? Xavier Howard, pretty damn good at his job in his own right. Now it starts getting interesting, guys. Michael Thomas against Carlton Davis. They're back. For those that forget, now these guys faced off three separate times in 2020. In week one, Michael Thomas just three catches, 17 yards, no scores. In week nine, five catches, 51 yards, no scores, and got absolutely goose egged in the divisional round. So the next week, uh, actually, I remember Devontae Adams scored a touchdown on Carlton Davis in the NFC Championship. Michael Thomas started talking all kinds of shit on Twitter. So on January 24th, 2021, Carlton Davis sent the following tweet to Mike Thomas, whose Twitter handle is Can't Guard Mike, by the way. Pretty awesome. Carlton Davis tweeted, I bodied you three games in a row, little dude, in cover one goofball, and I'm a doggy a little ass again next year, so you better work on them routes. So this is their first time facing ever since Carlton said that. Man, I don't know if we're going to get, you know, an Andre Johnson, Cortland Finnegan type of situation, but I will not be missing this game because not only do we have Michael Thomas versus Carlton Davis, we also got Mike Evans versus Marshawn Lattimore. And Evans has had some wins here. He scored a long touchdown on Lattimore last season, and he had that, you know, famous week one game where he caught all seven of his targets for 147 yards and a touchdown on Lattimore when Ryan Fitzpatrick was going bonkers to start the season. Generally, though, this has been a matchup that Lattimore has more has won, mostly just in recent history because Tom Brady hasn't felt the need to throw the ball to Mike Evans much when Chris when Marshawn Lattimore is in his hip pocket. So they faced off five times since Tom Brady has gone to Tampa Bay. In five games, Mike Evans has only seen 18 combined targets. So we have seen the Saints really be a kryptonite for Tom Brady in those matchups. 23, 3, 30, 27, and zero points against the Saints. And yeah. Two of those were just fine. But when you're talking about, you know, the reigning number two ranked scoring offense, you would expect a few more points. So similar sentiment for me with Mike Evans and Michael Thomas. I'm downgrading them just a couple spots. Mike Evans in particular should still be in fantasy lineups of all shapes and sizes. You know, I think Brady was able to not throw the ball to him quite as often in recent matchups because he had Goblin, because he had AB not having those guys. Yes, I think it's going to be a big day for Julio, but please don't bench Mike Evans just because in the matchup and a similar sentiment with Michael Thomas. Look, if you have five top 20 receivers and your team's loaded and it comes down to, you know, two guys pretty close, Jalen Waddle versus Michael Thomas, and you just don't want to worry about the matchup, fine, go ahead and play uh, Michael Thomas. But both these guys should, when they're healthy, have enough target volume to even win these tough matchups. With that said, objectively, I mean, you can call, you know, Carlton Davis, Michael Thomas's kryptonite, just like Lattimore for Mike Evans. 
thinking Washington Commanders wide receiver Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson. They're going to fetch the Detroit Lions duo, Amani Arubarie and Jeffrey Okuda. I will get this name down eventually. I am deeply sorry, everyone. I'm not worried about this at all. If anything, you know, seeing what Justin Jefferson and most recently A.J. Brown have done to Amani, I think Terry McLaurin could actually get a few more targets this time around and do a lot with them. With Akuda, again, great job, Goose Egg and Devontae Smith last week, but we're going to need to see a little bit more out of him before we're actively, uh, you know, downgrading guys because of his shadow coverage. So Jahan Dotson still firmly in that wide receiver four, wide receiver five conversation. I think Allen Robinson is actually going to be the one fetching shadow coverage from AJ Terrell this week. We are back to seeing AJ Terrell out there. Basically, the reason why I don't think he's going to be on Cooper Cup because Cooper Cup spends most of his time in the slot. AJ Terrell never played more than 14 snaps in a game in the slot last season. I think he's going to stick to Allen Robinson on the outside and probably make life tough on A Rob managers again. So I'll be answering most start sick questions involving Allen Robinson with the other guy as long as they are close. Also got Houston Texans wide receiver Brandon Cooks versus Denver Denver Broncos cornerback Patrick Sertan is second. Once again, not the easiest matchup, but we saw it last week with Cooks. I mean, it's not an every snap thing. The guy had freaking 40% of the Texans air yards or over that, over 30% of the targets. There's actually only nine receivers that pulled that off in week one. More than enough volume for Cooks to be just fine. Continue to fire him up as a low-end wide receiver too. CeeDee Lamb going to be facing off against Cincinnati Bengals cornerback Chidobe Awuzie. Look, with CD, I put him down in like Terry McLaurin, DJ Moore kind of territory because we have an undisputed number one wide receiver in his offense, but the quarterback situation is now not good. So it's it sucks. Like, look, I'll, you know, I'm taking the L, comparing him, putting him in that Devontae Adams conversation was a bit steep to do before the season, but let's not completely get rid of the guy now just because Dak's out of the picture. It's not good. I get it, but we're still looking at a wide receiver that should be demanding 10-plus targets each and every week. It's hard to bench anyone with that sort of volume. Again, we drafted CeeDee Lamb to be much more than what he's probably going to be over the next four to eight weeks, depending on who you're talking to, but that also doesn't mean he needs to immediately be benched. If anything, moving from that wide receiver spot to the flex spot, light a fire under his ass. Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase probably going to be matching up against Dallas Cowboys cornerback Trayvon Diggs. Last week, Trayvon just stuck to the right side. Maybe they do that again, but man, that was a rough game for Anthony Brown. And I think when you face the Buccaneers where they got Evans, Julio, and Godwin and Russell Gage out there, a little bit different than the Bengals who we'll see if T. Higgins plays. He was able to get a limited practice in Wednesday, but if Higgins is out of the picture, man, I don't think the Cowboys have much of another choice. So obviously Chase is an auto start, you know, regardless of the matchup. Really tough not to feel about his potential to blow the hell up here, though. These guys met in 2019 during Chase's amazing last season at LSU. He just roasted Trayvon Diggs all over the place. It was big bodying him. It got ugly at times. So Jamar Chase continued to fire him up as a top three fantasy wide receiver. And finally, I think we're going to have Vikings wide receivers Justin Jefferson actually get shadowed this time around. Remember who told you that Jair wasn't going to be taking him before the fact, though. Uh, and he's going to be up against Darius Slay. I think Adam Thielen's going to get James Brown. Bradbury. So the Lions, did, I mean, excuse me, the Eagles didn't shadow last week against the Lions, but it was the Lions. And we know with Amon Ross spending so much time in the slot, I just don't think it made sense for them to, you know, discern between DJ Chark and Josh Reynolds. But again, I'm not really actively downgrading Jefferson or Thielen, but I do think it could be tougher on Jefferson to post his usual wide receiver one goodness, because how could it get even, how could it get any easier at this point? So 
fun stat from my guy, Dwayne McFarlane. If you guys listen to the Sunday night review pod, one of the things I asked Dwayne was if he had already looked at, you know, just how many targets Jefferson was getting versus the linebackers and safeties. Cause from watching the game, that was one of the things stuck out. Dwayne went in, got our handy dandy PFF tools behind the scenes and did find out that last week, Justin Jefferson faced a linebacker or safety in primary coverage on 60% of his targets. Last year, that number was just 24%. So if there is anything about the Cooper Cup role, that's it. Not just slot, but just not only in the slot, being able to get him matched up against linebackers and safeties. It's ridiculous that, you know, NFL defenses allow us to happen. Maybe we'll just continue to see offenses put their best receiver in the slot until defenses are forced to adjust. I'm not sure why they haven't more already. Just look at Cooper Cup and now Justin Jefferson week in and week out. So some quick other notes. Jalen Ramsey didn't officially register a shadow matchup against Stefan Diggs. I doubt that he's going to be doing it against Drake London. Last year, he only shadowed Devontae Adams, Jefferson, Metcalf, Debo, and Mike Evans. Mentioned Asante Samuel Jr. and Michael Davis shadowed in week one. Facing the Chiefs, though, I'm just not so sure that we're going to be seeing the Chargers going out of their way to do that more spread out offense. Panthers cornerback Dante Jackson did shadow. Facing the Giants, though, I don't think anyone's going to earn that treatment. Browns have not had a Denzel Ward shadow anyone other than Deontay Johnson in Week 17 last year. Don't think he's going to stick to anyone against the Jets. Stephon Gilmore did mention he uh, was shadowing Brandon Cooks last week. Just one snap in the slot all game, though. I do not think he's going to be matching Christian Kirk. If anything, Gilmore, probably Zay Jones, maybe Marvin Jones, maybe just neither. Jaguars cornerback Shaquille Griffin did not track Terry McLaurin last week. We'll see if that changes against Michael Pimmon, but I am not expecting it to. Ravens cornerback Marlon Humphrey has not shadowed since Jamar Chase just beat him like a drum last season. I don't think that's going to happen this year. He certainly didn't shadow in week one. Once again, the Packers have not asked Jair Alexander to shadow since week 7, 2020. This, if you're outraged, okay, but this is not something new. Like they just haven't done it. And you know, it didn't always go that well for Jair. There's more than enough examples of Adam Thielen going off against him. Remember that Amari Cooper, like 230 yard game uh, he put on against the Packers back in the day. So that was a younger Jair. I do think think that when Justin Jefferson is running literally against nobody like yeah you need to find someone that's able to guard him we did see you know even though uh Jefferson didn't catch that ball there was an instance where he did put Jair in a blender so it's Justin Jefferson who can guard this guy in the league I don't really think anyone let's not you know slander Jair and the Packers use of him that much I think we've already gotten that out of our system and finally don't forget all pro Bills cornerback Tredavious White still on the pup and was only asked to shadow once in all 2021 anyways so that's the shadow report every week. going to have all that, all that on pff.com in my wide receiver column. So if you missed anything, just want to get more info, go check that out. I got full paragraph write-ups for each of those matchups. So with that said, let's now get to some of the key questions of the week before I go over some of the rankings. So major risers of the week. I went ahead and looked at the 13 wide receivers who managed to command a target share of at least 30% because we did see four pretty major surprises out of it. Donovan Peoples-Jones, 37% target and 40% air yard shares while working as the obvious number two across from Amari Cooper. Look, you're not firing up to 100 Peoples-Jones with a lot of confidence, but with that said, guys, number one player in Mr. Josh Josh Hermsmeyer's by low model. Yeah, it's just one week, small sample size, but just the fact that DPJ is the full-time guy out there, he will be someone that's a legit flex consideration once Deshaun Watson back, which is a while, I know, but at a minimum, he's now a boomer bust wide receiver four, wide receiver five type after he was being drafted as like a freaking wide receiver eight. Same exact sort of... uh, 
process and feeling about Robbie Anderson. I'm not telling you guys that you need to jam DPJ or Robbie in the lineups, but when we see Robbie do what he did in week one with Baker Mayfield, and we even zoom out and look at the last three years where, yeah, DJ Moore holds the edge and targets 287 versus 254, receptions 162 versus 153, but it's always been a lot closer between DJ and Robbie. So even though I'm not ranking them next to each other and I'm not telling you guys to start Robbie right away, objectively, Robbie and DPJ, much more in that boomer bust wide receiver four wide receiver five conversation because we know they are ingrained now as a number two wide receiver in their offense also had richie james being one of these 13 wide receivers oh my gosh the Kadarius tony stuff guys and brian dable said he still has been coming back from the sore knee but when you don't list the guy in the injury report like it wasn't like tony was on the injury report with a full practice and had the knee wasn't even listed so if he's going to try to use the injury as an excuse for playing their best wide receiver and probably their second best player on offense for only seven snaps i just don't get it but richie james did end up working alongside kenny galladay and sterling shepherd in three wide receiver sets after wandale robinson was forced out of action maybe a dfs thing but brian dable's a smart guy he knows Kadarius tony is good i am not expecting this richie james usage to persist and finally, Kyle Phillips with the Titans rookie slot receiver, nine targets, only Titans wide receiver with more than five. With that said, he was still using the rotation with Robert Woods, Nick Westbrook, Akini, and Trey Burke. So Phillips, hey, it's a rookie. You know, Dwayne and I were talking about Sunday night, him and Burks and really any of these rookies, we can see their role expand. So there's worse guys to leave on the bench. But in terms of week two starts, not feeling too good about Phillips. But hey, once again, Richie James, Kyle Phillips, Robbie Anderson, DPJ. What the hell do we think about these guys two weeks ago? The fact that they're just even somewhat in the fantasy conversation right now is great for them. Two major fallers, though, talked about Kadarius Tony and just the reality that on his two touches, they gave him like a reverse and he broke three tackles and gained like 15 yards. And then they tried to do just the kind of trick play where he throws the ball because Tony has a freaking cannon. There's a video of him in high school from like one knee chucking that shit like 70 yards downfield. Well, the pass wasn't there, but he reversed field, broke another couple tackles and still managed to get positive yards. So the fact that Tony played just seven snaps in a game when Wandale Robinson got hurt. We can't trust him right now. Don't drop him because the guy is so damn talented. And maybe just maybe he gets traded somewhere. But in terms of starting him, hell no. Can't do it for the time being. Also, major faller, just got to be CeeDee Lamb. Losing Dak Prescott is absolutely brutal. Again, though, 11 targets. It was on the field for 97% of the offensive snaps. So he's running a route every single time. Once again, just start treating CeeDee Lamb more like a Terry McLaurin, DJ Moore type, as opposed to Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. Matchups we should love this week using the PFF wide receiver cornerback matchup tool. It basically takes all the projected percentages of wide receivers going up against their expected cornerbacks, looks at the PFF grades, give us a handy-dandy matchup score, tell us what the best ones are. Last week, if you remember, with the only 100.0 matchup of the week, it was A.J. Brown. So, yeah, this is going to favor a lot of really good wide receivers, but, yeah, that's kind of how it works sometimes. So, best matchup of the week does go to Devontae Adams against the Cardinals with a 100.0 matchup rating. Also, Marquise Brown versus the Raiders, Terry McLaurin versus the Lions, Justin Jefferson versus the Eagles, Cooper Cup versus the Falcons, and Stefan Diggs versus the Titans. Those are the six excellent ratings. Now, on the other side of things, we do have five poor ratings that are actually applying to wide receivers that we're using in fantasy. So, Juju Smith Schuster against the Chargers, just a 20.6 matchup rating. 
Tough matchup, but you know who likes to overcome tough matchups? Patrick Mahomes. I'm still treating Juju as an upside wide receiver three. Drake London against the Rams with a 22.3 matchup rating. Not ideal. I'm more probably worried about the Falcons dealing with Aaron Donald and company in this matchup in particular, but certainly not a week to maybe expect London to blow the hell up. Chris Olave versus the Buccaneers, Kyle Phillips versus the Bills, and Darnell Mooney versus the Packers. Three more that just aren't really popping right now. Keep an eye on that Green Bay game. It looks like Green Bay and San Francisco, amongst other cities, could have some rain out there. Yeah, usually don't care about the rain, more so the wind. But after that damn Bears game last week, I mean, yeah, we do need to care about the rain a little bit more when it is going to be freaking monsoon or just turning the field into a freaking mud pit. And obviously, you know, in Green Bay and San Francisco, I think Green Bay has switched to the turf, uh, if my memory is correct, in recent years. But San Fran wouldn't be surprised if that field gets a little muddy in a hurry. Hopefully they can just do their thing and we don't have to worry about a format like that Bears game last week once again streamers of the week for more information on really the whole week's waiver wire if you haven't heard already myself and nathan yonke recorded that on tuesday and we'll continue to do so every week 12 30 we do it live we answer your guys questions we had a great group on youtube this week so if you got specific questions you want me and nathan's opinion that's the time to ask it but top two streamers of the week going to be tampa bay buccaneers wide receiver julio jones and los angeles Chargers wide receiver josh palmer so cool note from nfl networks ian rapaport Two of Julio's top three fastest speeds as a ball carrier since 2020 were recorded on Sunday night. He looked back. Goblin's reportedly going to miss two to three weeks. That means Julio is a full-time starter with Tom freaking Brady under center. What else do you need to know? To me, he's a borderline wide receiver too. He's either facing up, he's either facing a banged up Paulson Adebo, the projected Saints starting cornerback, or he's getting Bradley Roby, who is also 30 years old. So Roby allowed six of eight targets into his coverage to be caught for a team high 70 yards in week one. Again, expecting Marshawn Lattimore to be tracking Mike Evans, all the Julio this week. I have him as a borderline wide receiver too. Let's see where I have him ranked specifically. Yeah, Julio Jones, wide receiver 24. I would start Julio ahead of Juju, DK Metcalf, Christian Kirk, Elijah Moore, amongst other guys. So we're here. Trust it, Julio. Let's make it happen. Also, Josh Palmer, not quite as high on. I have Josh Palmer, wide receiver 38. We did get official word that Keenan Allen is out of the picture, but we've seen really good returns from Josh Palmer in his only three career games, playing at least 60% of the snaps last season. Five catches, 43 yards, touchdown. Five catches, 66 yards, touchdown. Four catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown. I get it. Week one cleared that and only had three catches for five yards, but guys, she report comes in handy sometimes. Palmer ran a nasty double move on from the 18-yard line, third down. Herbert saw it, was about to throw one of his beautiful Herbert passes straight into his belly. Nope, Herbert got hit, couldn't get the touchdown. Unfortunate. Just think about how much higher Palmer's stock would be if he had caught that, though. Streamer of next week probably is another guy who just has gotten a little bit unlucky here, KJ Hamler. So I really think KJ Hamler is the guy that we should be targeting before he inevitably is going to catch one of these rust moon balls and dive up the ranks because we were worried about the injury, the hip, the ACL and him coming back for it. He played in the preseason and he looked good in the preseason. Week one, he's questionable. He goes ahead and plays. Look, he worked behind Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. Sutton had 45 routes. Judy had 43 routes. Hamler was right there, though, with 31. No other Broncos wide receiver ran more than five routes. So Hamler is easily the number three in Denver. And I just think he really applies more so into that Russell Gage, Tyler Boyd like type of wide receiver three who has a lot of room to go if there's even one injury that happens. And we're not really giving him credit for it because we haven't actually seen a big highlight with Hamler on it yet, even though, guys, 
last week, made a sick catch on Monday night where he just couldn't quite get the second foot down, but it was on the sideline. And then actually drew a defensive pass interference in the end zone where he was running past the guy, drew the penalty, and you know Russ overthrew him because it was a penalty. There's another play in the preseason, fourth and one, where he was wide open for a 40-yard pass but just couldn't get the ball. All, the offense, the usage, everything for KJ Hamler is there. We just haven't seen that inevitable big play happen just yet. So last week, Texans allowed 352 passing yards to Matt Ryan. We got bailed out on multiple end zone drops. Don't be surprised if Hamler is the guy that we're racing to go get off the waiver wire next week. Don't be afraid to be ahead of the curve there. Injuries to monitor again, recording this at 7 15 PM on Wednesday night. So haven't gotten a chance to scan through every single practice report, but don't worry. We'll be back here on Friday with my guy, Nick Botterford, just breaking down all the good injuries around the league, everything fantasy relevant and getting you guys set for the weekend. With that said, Bengals wide receiver T Higgins appears to be progressing through the concussion protocol. So Zach Taylor did say he's cleared some hurdles and he got in a limited practice on Wednesday. If active, he's in your starting lineup. Even if there's a fire upside wide receiver too, no doubt about it. If not though, Tyler Boyd suddenly firmly in that upside wide receiver three conversation. If Higgins is out, which right now in my rankings, I do have uh, that assumption. I have Tyler Boyd ranked wide receiver 33 ahead of Drake London, Devonte Smith, Hunter Renfro, Amari Cooper, amongst other guys, because guys, 13 games now with Joe Burrow, but without one of Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd has averaged 6.6 receptions per game, 69 receiving yards, and 0.4 receiving touchdowns. Very good wide receiver, getting elevated to Joe Burrow's number two. Don't be afraid to trust Tyler Boyd if T. Higgins is out. Also, Chargers wide receiver Keenan Allen officially ruled out at this point. Already talked about Josh Palmer as one of the streamers of the week. Same thing goes with Buccaneers wide receiver Chris Goblin being out with the hamstring. Go get Julio Jones and don't be afraid to maybe get Russell Gates too. He does get a nice bump in his own right. With the Cowboys, Michael Gallup with his knee. James Washington remains out with the foot. ESPN's Todd Archer did say it's unlikely that Gallup will play in week two, so that means Noah Brown and something named Dennis Houston will probably be flanking CeeDee Lamb in three wide receiver sets. Only C.D. Lamb is a realistic pass game option. Dalton Schultz, too, just in the wide receiver room while Dak Prescott remains sideline. Alan Lazard did manage to start the week off with the practice. Seems to put him on the right side of questionable uh, involving that ankle injury. If active, Lazard's a tough one. I kind of put him right around Amari Cooper on that wide receiver three borderline. I want to see him be healthy. I want to see them actually treat him as the number one they made him out to be. My uh, pissed off call of last week was that the Packers were going to rotate all their wide receivers and render them all basically obsolete. And, you know, Christian Watson, if he just could catch the ball, certainly wouldn't have been obsolete. But we did see, like, again, four Packers wide receivers all rotating in and basically nullifying each of them as realistic fantasy options. Colts wide receiver Alec Pierce in the concussion protocol. His absence would elevate Ashton Doolin to a full-time role. We still mostly only want to mess around with Michael Pittman, but I will say a Paris Campbell is the one getting a lot of this hype, you know, about Pierce being out. Don't be afraid to go to Ashton Doolin in DFS tournaments. Chiefs wide receiver Juju with the shoulder and Justin Watson with the chest, both good to go. So with Watson playing, I would be worried about Miko and Sky Moore. Remember, Juju and MVS are the only two full-time starters in that Kansas City wide receiver room right now. Rams wide receiver Van Jefferson could be out again with that knee injury. Ben Scrowernick actually played 88% of the snaps. Tutu Atwell not really even used. Why did they use a second-round pick on him, right? 
in the first place. I don't get it. Giants wide receiver Wandale Robinson with the knee injury and was seen working with a trainer and with a brace on his knee at practice. I just want to stay away from these Giants wide receivers right now. This was a third most run heavy offense in week one, even excluding garbage time uh, plays and all that. We still have Daniel Jones under center. And to me, I just can't fathom a world where Kadarius Tony, who clearly is the best wide receiver they have right now, is going to be used as the four. I think things could get murky and unfortunately render everyone just off the fantasy radar. Saints wide receiver Traquan Smith with the groin injury doesn't really matter. Still Michael Thomas, Alave, and Landry in three wide receiver sets. With the Cardinals, Rondale Moore still not practicing with the hamstring. Hopkins is suspended. Andy Isabella isn't practicing with a back. Antoine Wesley remains on IR with the groin injury. So at this point, Marquise Brown, Greg Dorch. Greg Dorch sees him, everybody. AJ Green and Zach Ertz, those should be the top four options. Greg Dorch, someone that, hey, if all these guys are going to be out, we need to get them on the map to some extent. With that said, I would still have a tough time ranking him, you know, too far inside the top 60 wide receivers. Put him alongside guys like KJ Osborne, Curtis Samuel, you know, a fellow number three-ish pass game option in other offenses. I'm not going to let that whole week one just completely make us assume that Dorch is going to be, you know, the every week number two wide receiver for Kyler Murray. And finally, Bears wide receiver Belis Jones out with the hamstring, the heel Harry with the ankle, David Moore with the leg, Darnell Mooney and Equinemius St. Brown, only two guys in Chicago. And once again, not a great matchup for Darnell Mooney. We talked about that before. Potential for rain, just, you know, fields being a little bit erratic in Lambeau. I would probably try to wait another week to play Darnell Mooney if you can at all avoid it. I get it. You know, I'm not saying to... Once again, all this stuff, tiebreakers, all right? Darnell Mooney, let's see, where do I have him ranked? I have Darnell Mooney, wide receiver 31. So if you say Darnell Mooney or Robbie Anderson, who I have wide receiver 50, of course not. But if it's Darnell Mooney and, you know, Hunter Renfro, who I have just a few spots below, I don't think that's egregious at all. My bowl call of the week. Last week, I said Amon Ross St. Brown will pick up where he left off and catch 10 passes. Didn't quite get there. He did catch eight, though. His prop was five and a half, 64 yards and a touchdown. Hey, we'll take it, you know. We'll call this week. Elijah Moore gets back on track with 100-plus yards and a touchdown. So Moore has now played three games with Joe Flacco. In Week 10, 2021, Mike White got pulled at the end. Flacco came in. He threw three passes. Two of them were completed to Moore for 40 yards and a touchdown. The next week, Flacco starts. Moore goes for eight catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown in a tough matchup against the Dolphins. That was the game where I knew Elijah Moore was legit, legit. Maybe I should have freaking known that before. But, you know, when you see the guy roasting Byron Jones, and then outrunning the whole defense to the end zone. Yeah, okay, he's legit. Also, week one with Flacco, more five catches, 49 yards. He had a touchdown nullified. Yeah, it was 100% should have been nullified. This was OPI definition. Put it next to you know the dictionary definition of it. He shoved the guy down. Still, though, we're getting the end zone targets. We're still getting lots of scoring opportunities. So in those three games, guys, two touchdowns, 140 yards in one of them. And last week, still pretty good. So I'm not worried about the Denzel Ward shadow. As we talked about before, we saw Robbie Anderson take the top off his defense last week. Only the Raiders had a higher non-garbage time pass play rate than the Jets in week one. The Browns allowed, get this, negative 0.1 rushing yards before contact against the uh, Panthers last week. So that's why Christian McCaffrey's game just didn't go all that well. So even if the Jets come in, they say we're not throwing the ball 59 times again. I'm not so sure they're going to even have any success on the ground against Miles Garrett and company. Love Elijah Moore getting back on track this week. He is my wide receiver. Let's see, 28 ahead of guys like Adam Thielen, Rashad Bateman, Allen Robinson, Darno Mooney, Tyler Boyd, amongst others. 
My pissed off call of the week is that Jacoby Brissett continues to hurt the fantasy value of all parties involved in Cleveland. Last week, I said the Packers would rotate all their receivers evenly, rendering each as a high-risk fantasy play moving forward, and they end up having four wide receivers play between 57 and 67% of the snaps. So hopefully this will become like... I get really good at these pissed off calls and I can slowly but surely trick the fantasy gods into actually doing things that we want them to do. But for now, guys, being objective about it, the Jacoby Brissett experience just is terrible. I mean, everyone that said that he is better than Baker Mayfield should go apologize because we saw you know, the difference between the two quarterbacks out there on Sunday. I'm well aware of who won, but we, I think, are pretty – I think we can all admit as much as uh, Baker is better than Jacoby that the Cleveland Browns are a far better team than the Carolina Panthers. So just in that game, man, Cooper – Amari Cooper, three catches, 17 yards, three separate instances where we got just disgusting routes on the wide receiver cornerback ISO cam, and Jacoby just couldn't put the ball on him. So two of the plays Cooper was interfered with, but still, man, just not even a chance to catch these passes. I think that's going to become, you know, a pretty uh, certain thing, pretty something that we see pretty often throughout the season. Another terrible miss from Jacoby really robbed uh, Kareem Hunt of an even bigger day, had a chance to get his 60 yard touchdown down the sideline and just overthrew it. So, I think Jacoby is probably a top 35 quarterback in the league. He's a backup, though. He's a journeyman. Let's not get it twisted. It's going to be really tough to trust this Browns attack for however long for the 11 games that Deshaun Watson is suspended. Shout out Josh Hernsmeyer. 538. Just a really freaking smart guy. We got his air yards by low model now. Go check that out at pff.com. Just a little bit behind the scenes, though. Donovan People Jones and Richie James, the top two guys with that usage. So no surprise. And I think uh, these days, as you know, I think more and more of us go over to the dark side, going full nerd in fantasy football. We all kind of understand the routes and the targets per route and how important they can be. Josh's model always does a great job with that. So if you are a PFF subscriber, I cannot recommend a better piece to go look at on pff.com than Josh's air yards yards by low model. Finally, my deep ball guest of the week. Last week, I predicted Marquise Brown, and he did not receive even a target thrown 20 yards downfield. He did get a late touchdown, though. So 43 yards and a touchdown. Didn't kill you, but yeah, we'll take the L on that deep ball. This week, though, Brandon Ayuk against the Seahawks. So once again, check that weather. Recording this on a Wednesday. You know, when it gets to Sunday, if we see another mud pit, I might have to take this one back. But we did see Ayuk in week one, led the 49ers in routes with 35. He just only saw two targets. Now, he did look explosive. He had a nice gain on that beautiful crossing throw from Trey Lance. Now, though, it's a Seahawks defense that, guys, the starting outside corners, Michael Jackson and Tariq Woolen. And Tariq Woolen, rookie, 6'4", runs a 4'2", freak, earned PFF's highest like rookie grade among cornerbacks in week one. Maybe he's a boss. With that said, Jackson and Woolen, combined they played not started they played six career nfl games i think willen could have a fantastic career and that would not stop brandon i from still having a great game in this one so debo samuel it's realistic i think to think that he'll be playing running back more than ever without elijah mitchell out there seahawks going back to week one of last season 107 completions of at least 15 yards allowed seventh highest mark in the league i like brandon i getting back on track in a major way against the seahawks takes us to my week two fantasy football rankings, which you can find as always on pff.com and with the PFF app, just some high level takeaways here. Each of my top seven wide receivers just seems like a talented alpha locked into the number one pass game option role in their offense. So Justin Jefferson, Cooper cup, Jamar chase, Stephon Diggs, Devonte Adams, Tyreek Hill, and AJ Brown are my big seven. I mentioned Debo Samuel getting more of the rushing stuff. 
you know, if the guy's just going to keep being the most efficient ball carrier in the league, okay, fair play. It'll work out for him. That combined with Kyle Shanahan, you know, Debo Samuel, he's still got to be in starting lineups of all shapes and sizes. The next tier, I really think, guys, like from wide receiver nine all the way to wide receiver 17, it's pretty close. We have number one guys in offenses that maybe aren't super pass happy. Maybe there's, you know, a second or third wide receiver that also stays pretty involved. But we're feeling really good about these guys, and they should be in the majority of starting lineups. So guys like Michael Pittman, Mike Evans, Mike Williams, Amon Ross St. Brown, Marquise Brown, Brandon Cook, CeeDee Lamb, Terry McLaurin, I want them in starting lineups of all shapes and sizes. And you can say the same thing about the Denver Broncos wide receivers. Cortland Sutton versus Jerry Judy. Yes, start them both. I don't think Russell Wilson is going to be targeting his tight ends quite as often in future weeks with all due respect to Albert Owen company. Michael Thomas and Deontay Johnson, they'll be flirting with the wide receiver one territory as opposed to being low-end wide receiver twos when we know for sure that they have better health and they're in a little bit better matchups. Guys like Jalen Waddle, Gabriel Davis, DJ Moore, Julio Jones, Juju, and DK Metcalf could lead their respective offenses and targets during any given week. They just aren't quite as locked in as that, you know, upside wide receiver two group due to a mix of quarterback play and also just the overall target upside. Another guy I really like. If I had to say, you know, just outside the top 24 kind of consensus receivers, the three guys I think could really pop off this week, Christian Kirk, Elijah Moore, and Brandon Ayuk. So Christian Kirk, looking at what he did out of the slot last week, guys, I posted the video on my Twitter, but just look freaking elusive out there. Had an awesome downfield catch, and just the things underneath he was able to do gave Trevor Lawrence a place to go with the ball all game long. And when you look at this matchup we talked about before, Stefan Gilmore not really being used in the slot. I am starting Christian Kirk ahead of guys like Adam Thielen, Rashad Bateman, and Allen Robinson with confidence. Mentioned before about the Sunday night weather issues for Darnell Mooney, potentially Tyler Boyd and rounding out my top 36 is Drake London, Devontae Smith and Hunter Renfro. So favorite plays outside the top 36, Joshua Palmer without Keenan Allen, Brandon Ayuk against the Seahawks leaky secondary, Russell Gage as a pivot off the popular Julio play. And finally, KJ Hamler at home against that Texan secondary. Again, I think KJ Hamler could be on the cover of all those waiver wire issues come next week. So that's going to wrap up. This edition, let's talk all things tight end. Want to go through kind of every the big usage takeaways we had from week one, get you my streamers of the week, get to the rankings, and get on with all of our lives as we float on a rock throughout outer space. So, with all that said, thanks again for tuning in. Let's get after it. So, got a handy dandy chart up here for YouTube viewers. Also, tweeted in my article, tweeted out, got in my article. I'm just trying to spread the good PFF word here. And basically, I went through, I took every team's top two tight ends and snap percentage, you know, looking at the route percentage as well, and the targets per route run. Shout out to my compadre in life, Dwayne McFarland. He has determined over the years that if you're a tight end with an 80% route rate and you're getting targeted on over 20% of those routes, it's just awfully hard to bust. So, I didn't quite go that. That high with the numbers because it's really tough to do that. And as much as I would just love to tell you guys how great, you know, Mark Andrews is and how, you know, much that we can trust him week to week, I understand that, you know, he's only going to be on one fantasy football team uh, throughout the season. So with that said, I went ahead and I looked at tight ends that have run a route on at least 15, I'm sorry, 70% of the dropbacks and demanded a target on at least 15% of those routes. So guys, only 10 tight ends actually qualified this week. Mark Andrews, 94% route rate and 25% targets per out run. Also at Dalton Schultz, Tyler Higby, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts, and Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, Ian, we know all those guys are pretty awesome. Two other wild cards though, Jawan Johnson with the Saints. Hope you listen to my guy Nathan Yonke on the Tuesday edition of this podcast. We went over the waiver wire and the good 
just the goodness that Jawan Johnson has a chance to provide. I mean, an 80% route rate, 16% targets per route run. Those are elite numbers, ladies and mostly gentlemen. Also, Albert O, 73% route rate and 15% targets per route run. Object, objectively hilarious start to the season for all those Alberto truthers. I mean, seeing Andrew Beck and Eric Saubert like go out there and just crush it the first couple drives of that game. You hated to see it, but these underlying numbers, guys, very, very reasonable for Alberto. Again, 73% route rate, 15% targets per route run. I mean, look at David Njoku. He ran less routes and he only had a 4% targets per route run rate. I mean, you look at Alberto, 73% route rate. Kyle Pitts was at 76%. So Alberto is on the field as much much as we you know can really expect right now could that change when Greg Dortch comes back or maybe someone gets a little healthier they add someone off the street yes but for now Alberto Jawan Johnson and also Tyler Higby really deserve to be treated as the top three streamer options of the week in terms of Tyler Higby he was out there for 92 percent of the routes and actually 20 percent targets per route run should have mentioned him before in that previous group he of course qualified as well so again George Kittle not practicing or if you're just you know not feeling whatever streamer you had last week Tyler Tyler Higby is my favorite streamer of this week because he's on the field all the freaking time with Matthew Stafford. And I think AJ Terrell is going to clamp Allen Robinson the hell up. I know it was rough for Higby last week, but he was facing a true juggernaut defense potentially in the Buffalo Bills who were just able to get pressure without even blitzing anybody. I don't think the Atlanta Falcons are going to be nearly as lucky against this offense. So Tyler Higby, more than happy to go back to the well. Juwan Johnson catching passes from Jameis in, a, in an offense that, you know, not wide open in terms of target share, but I think we could see Jameis and company continue to press, you know, their foot on the gas pedal and Alberto again, Higby, Johnson, Alberto, top three waiver wire additions of the week. I think our, we can already, you know, put them ahead of guys like David Njoku, Evan Ingram, you know, Cameron Brait, Logan Thomas, Mike Jacecki, Noah Fant, some of the bigger names out there. So six other tight ends who didn't quite qualify in terms of running around on at least seven. 70% of their offenses dropbacks, but you know, okay, I'm sorry. They actually did qualify in terms of running a route on 70% of their offenses dropbacks. They didn't quite get as many targets and maybe it was just a one week thing. Wouldn't completely press the panic button on guys like Dallas Goddard, Hunter Henry, Tyler Conklin, even who was out there like 91% uh, percent of the routes. I believe that was kind of surprising. 81% of the routes, 91% of the snaps when they paid CJ Uzoma a shit ton of money too, but I'm not a general manager. Cameron Bray, Hayden Hurst, and Evan Ingram finishing the group. So yeah, especially Goddard and Hurst quality play still at this point in time just some miscellaneous notes on the tight ends who I think that we've come to expect would be more in this conversation but just aren't Cole Komet with the Bears 84% snaps 70% routes not bad just 6% targets per route run though I mean this really was guys a two tight end offense Ryan Griffin did work behind Cole Komet but it was still a 43% route rate a 20% targets per route run I don't think Ryan Griffin is ever going to work ahead of Cole Komet, but when we have other guys in offenses that are way better offenses with tight ends that are actually on the field way more often and aren't losing targets to the guy behind them, that's why Cole Komet was never someone that I was going out of my way to get in fantasy drafts. So please don't confuse this with a victory lap. I fully expect Cole Komet to lead the Bears tight ends in productions, but once again, I just think his end of season target total is going to be far closer to 70 or 80 than the people that just said, oh my gosh, like who else are the Bears going to throw the ball to? Cole Komet, you know, 120 targets confirmed. So couldn't be me there. 
Unfortunately, similar sentiment with David Njoku. Like Komet, he played pretty much a full-time role, and I once again expect him to lead the Browns, you know, tight ends and receiving. But Harrison Bryant out-targeted him four to one. They've now played five games together without out Austin Hooper, and even of course, even across that sample size, Harrison Bryant has more targets. So once again, fully expect Njoku to lead the way. But if it's seventy targets from Jacoby Brissett over the course of a season, that's going to be tough to expect much consistency from. With Gerald Everett. Still a recommended streamer. I have Gerald Everett as my tight end 12 this week, even though his underlying data wasn't fantastic. He did lose a lot of reps to Trey McKitty and even some to Richard Rodgers, but had that nice touchdown. He was making some plays. Maybe it was just a one-week, slightly lower usage than we're expecting. And we once again have not only Tom or Parham sideline, but also Keenan Allen. So at this point, Gerald Everett could just actually be Justin Herbert's like number three kind of pass game option that he's hoping to get the ball to more plays than not. For that reason, I'm fine continuing the fire up Gerald Everett as a top 12 tight end, even though, again, his underlyings aren't quite as great as we were hoping. Dawson Knox, similar to Everett, just not not quite as great as what we were hoping for, seeing Dawson Knox only get targeted on, uh, what was it, 8% of his routes run, but it was one week. Let's not completely freak out. This is still a basically full-time player in the Bills offense, and you know if we're going to take some chances on tight ends who just don't have the most elite uses that we're looking for, they should probably be guys playing in offenses with Justin Herbert and Josh Allen. Also, Zach Ertz, Logan Thomas, Ersmith, and Robert Tunyon take their usage with a little bit of a grain of salt. All guys were banged up going into the week and were accordingly limited. Please, for the love of God, don't go chasing O.J. Howard's production. And Noah Fant, Mike Jusicki, Mo Cox, Brevin Jordan, in my opinion, can be cut, and you should not be expecting them to have really any meaningful kind of contributions throughout the season. So, I think that covers most of the big categories. Again, I do like Hayden Hurst, 78% route rate, 14% targets per route run in a potential shootout against the Cowboys. If we see T. Higgins out of the picture, Hayden Hurst gets a well-deserved bump. Dalton Schultz, 100% snap rate, 93% route participation rate. The problem is, I just where the touchdowns coming from this offense. So I have Dalton Schultz still within the top 10, but I have him as my tight end nine. I am chasing better quarterbacks at this point in offenses. Zach Ertz, Dawson Knox, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard. I mean, at this point, the comp for Dalton Schultz, I have him right next to Pat Fryermuth because I think both guys are talented enough, but when we're catching passes from Trubisky and now Cooper Rush, it's tough for me to be overly optimistic about the guy. We'll see what happens with Tunyon getting moving on up in the Green Bay pecking order. But last week, guys, like Mercedes Lewis played the most snaps out of any Green Bay tight end, just 38% of the uh, actual snaps. So four tight ends moving on in Green Bay. Tough to be too happy about anything there. Sucks we lost Mo Alley-Cox, but Kylan Granson actually rather inexplicably working ahead of him. Evan Ingram not giving up on just yet, but man. Trevor Lawrence was pretty damn erratic in week one. I'm just not super convinced that we're going to see him enable more than one relevant pass game option on a week-to-week basis. I do think it'll be Christian Kirk more times than not. Maybe Zay Jones or Marvin Jones can make it happen. I mean, I did see Zay Jones. His underlyings were good, but I'm just, again, it's more so Trevor Lawrence and also the fact that Zay Jones, he's been in the NFL for a while and we've never really seen him string together more than a couple of good games uh, here and there. So he got paid. Maybe Trevor just had a rough week one and we're going to see a lot better stuff. I was pleasantly surprised, you know, watching the Jaguars just all 22, how much more they were kind of pushing things downfield and running some different route combinations. But for now, I, I just have not seen still enough from Trevor Lawrence to think that this Jaguars passing game is one I want constant exposure to. 
mentioned Tyler Higby's elite stuff, Darren Waller's. So Kyle Pitts, I know people are disappointed about him dudding, but calm down, guys. He'll be fine. 85% snaps, 76% routes, and 25% targets per route run. Got to love that. Great day to be great there. And fun note from my friends over at Underdog NFL, using PFF data, but I'll shout them out for being the ones that figured it out. Uh, Falcons increased uh, Kyle Pitts' inline usage by 9% in week one versus 2021. That's fine. We get this thing stuck in our mind about like wanting tight ends out in the slot or out wide. I want them running routes from in line or just, you know, barely off the line in the slot because then they're more likely to be matched up against linebackers and safeties. Why does Cooper Cup always get those matchups? Because he's more so in the slot as opposed to outside. So please don't think that's a bad thing for Kyle Pitts. I think we're going to see him be just fine here moving forward. Hunter Henry, 88% route rate was good, but John U. Smith is actually far more involved than last year. Right now at that Patriots passing game, I would rather just stay away. I think that's about it there, everyone. Let's quickly get into some of the ranks talks before we get out of here. Again, not worried at all about the big four tight ends, Kelsey, Andrews, Pitts, and Waller. You know, at this point, George Kittle. Once again, looking like he could be missing some time. I would not be forcing him into the lineup if you don't have to, even if he's going to end up playing if we get that kind of game time decision, limited snaps type of deal again. Dallas Goddard, TJ Hawkinson, Zach Ertz. I have them as my tight ends five through seven. I might very well flip Ertz up to that tight end five spot if he doesn't have an injury designation by the time the weekend goes around, just because who else is Kyler Murray going to throw the ball to in Arizona at this point? I will give Dawson Knox a slight lean over Dalton Schultz, even though Schultz has a superior underlying metrics, just a reality of being in you know, the pass happy Bills. Josh Allen led offense instead of a potentially run heavy Cooper Rush led Cowboys offense. Again, Tyler Higby, official streamer of the week. I have him tighter, tight end 11, just one spot behind Pat Fryermuth. I have Higby tight end 11, Gerald Everett tight end 12, Hayden Hurst 13, Albert O 14, Juwan Johnson 15. Yeah, guys, we're playing ball now. We got the data. I'm not going to live on a reputation of what we thought someone was supposed to be a month ago and put them ahead in the ranks of, you know, guys that are now giving us the rates that we want to see out of them in the first place. So David Njoku, my tight end 16, followed by Tunyon, Henry, Ingram, Komet, Brait, Logan Thomas, Mike Jasicki, and Noah Fant. So always updating these. You guys can get the Pro Football Focus app and get start-sit recommendations from myself, Nathan Yonke, and Kevin Cole all the time. But for right now, again, Tyler Higby, Everett, Hurst, Alberto, Jawan Johnson. Those are my top five tight ends ranked outside the top 10 that more times than not, hopefully your team already has one of in the first place. So great day to be great, guys. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back each and every week with these positional previews. Also check out the shows where I got some lovely guests on. Kevin Cole, PFF's Finest, comes on Thursday to talk matchups. I got Nick Bodiford talking injury on Fridays. Dwayne McFarlane on Sunday night talking all things, reviewing all the games that just happened. And my guy Nathan Yonke on Tuesdays going over the waivers. So a lot of talking. My voice has been a little bit sore, but you know what? We're just we're just grinding out here, baby. Week two, NFL's back. I love it. So thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Until next time, take care, everybody.